and welcome back, everyone, to yet another episode of Going for Two, presented by Home Field Apparel. I am your host, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown. I am joined here by my colleague and co-host, Brian Fisher, as we get ready for a week of basketball. It's gonna be it's gonna be pretty fun. We've got some really fun men's and women's games coming up here over the next couple of days. We have our beautiful noon ball. We have the basketball that's gonna distract all of our normies who don't work in sports. So that's all they're gonna be talking about. It's gonna go till midnight. I'm pretty excited. Should be pretty fun. It, it is. I mean, where where else do you get uh, you you you're talking with like grandma or you're, you're talking with your aunts and uncles like and it's about one thing. It's about your brackets. Like who who's your upset? Who's your eight nine? Yeah. Who's your five twelve? I love this time of year and uh, some pretty compelling matchups, like you said, across both tournaments. I mean, really, maybe one of the more intriguing kind of combinations of March that we, we've got because there's there's interest on the men's side and, and the women's side. And uh, it should be fun as we kind of make that road towards uh, Minneapolis and uh, New Orleans. Are you good at bracket challenges typically? Eh, I'm hit, I'm hit or miss. One year I'll do I'll do great. Uh, the other year I won't. But you know, unfortunately, you know, my son was born in September, so like my the amount of college basketball that I've consumed is. I everybody says this all the time. I've ne- I haven't watched fewer college basketball than I ever. Very much true for me because I've got a, got a new kid. But uh, I think it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun year. Uh, I typically do okay, but I have never won one. I. I don't. I don't think I've. I don't think I've ever won one. We ha, we, we do one with our family, and I almost. I mean, I, I'm in the bottom half every year. It's it's a tradition. Whether there are some years, um, this was especially true early in my sports writing career, where I was religious about watching college basketball, and I would do all the homework and I would finish seventh. And then there were years. I think particularly an extra point started when I would watch very little college basketball and I would finish seventh. This year, I watched New Mexico State play in person. They're really good. Um, I've watched a couple of Ohio State games. They're not very good. And uh, a couple of games on the treadmill at the YMCA. That's about it. And I'm going to fill everything out. I'm going to finish seventh in the Brown, Fig- Brown family, Figueredo family bracket. And I would imagine you're going to destroy me uh, at, at the office pool. And that's that's just the way things go. Um, but I'm still going to do one. And I, I'm, I'm going to, my, my only plea for everyone would be enjoy the games for what you are, what they are. If you are the person that is rooting against something that would be objectively funny because it would help your bracket, you suck. Unless you, unless you have like $50,000 riding on this thing, it is better for the world for a number two seed to lose in the first round than for you to make an extra 75 bucks in your bracket. And I'm, I'm, and I'm tired of pretending otherwise. Um, this is not a show that's going to give you bracket advice for the men's basketball tournament. Well, it sounds like you're saying don't pick Ohio State in, in that first round matchup. That, that, I know a lot of people are. The most... Sister Jean and the Loyola Ramblers and their basketball coach, who I think is 16 years old and can't rent a car in most states, they're they're going to beat. I mean, I think they're literally favored against Ohio State. Everyone, everyone at OSU's hurt. Um, yeah, I would pick Loyola. Everything else, pff, hell if I know. Um, go 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 with your heart. This is not that show. This is what almost every other show is this week. I would defer, I would recommend literally the rest of the internet. Um, sites that do not write about sports at all will probably have bracket advice for you, which is wonderful. Today, I want to talk about the women's basketball tournament because I'm going to be totally honest with you, Brian, for as, as, as I have watched about as much women's basketball this year as I have watched men's basketball, which is to say a little bit, but not a ton. I uh, would certainly not consider myself an expert in, in the women's uh, in the women's college game. And we did want to talk about this. We had many of our listeners and our readers ask for this. 
And so we want someone to bring on somebody who does live in this world, who writes a lot about women's basketball, not just from the, the national high level, but from the, the real deep X's and O's level, who, 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 can, who can break down plays and, and, and really diagram what's happening on the court. Um, and we're lucky because there's more of those people now than there were a couple of years ago, which is which is a beautiful thing. Uh, I wanted to bring in uh, my old colleague from uh, my SB Nation days, Sabrina Merchant, who runs uh, Swish Appeal. She writes uh, across the SB Nation network full time. Uh, a really, I, I think, thoughtful women's basketball voice to help us explain this tournament. If you're like me, a normie that hasn't been watching a lot of women's basketball this year, uh, that's OK. Maybe you will next year. But Sabrina can help answer some of your questions, so perhaps you can get the most out of this tournament, right? Let's uh, let's uh, let's why don't why don't we bring her aboard here for a second? Sabrina, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us. I'm so happy to be here. We have been uh, really trying to, to to dig into women's college basketball here for a minute. The schedules haven't worked out with a couple of other people. You had the audacity to go to Mexico. We wanted to talk <laughs> earlier, but but now I think is the perfect time. Because now we have the the brackets been announced, the tournament's about to start. We have a slew of casuals who are wanting to now love and appreciate the sport. Let me start by asking you a very stupid question: Is South Carolina the best team in the country this year, uh, or ha- are, are other schools maybe being slept on a little bit? And then this is this is the the brand name program. I think both of those can be true. You know, so South Carolina is wire to wire number one in the poll this year. Uh, They've only lost two games all season, both of them by one possession on fantastically ridiculous game winning shots. So it's been just a a really annoying year for a South Carolina fan, I have to imagine, because you end last season by losing to Stanford in the final four by one point when Aaliyah Boston, who's probably going to win player of the year this year, has a putback attempt that just doesn't quite go in at the buzzer. Then you get into this season where you're clearly the best team in the country, but you know, not undefeated because of this ridiculous loss to Missouri and then to Kentucky in the SEC tournament. So it's a team that like really has nothing to prove on the one hand, but also like I want to say they've probably been the best team in the country for like the last five years since they won a national title in 2017 and not a banner to show for it. So I think they're the favorites. But I also don't think that it would be altogether surprising if one of three other teams was the last one standing in Minneapolis. Uh, it, it is kind of that's the funny thing about college basketball generally, right? And this was, I think, a complaint about the women's game. I remember you know, growing up and starting as as a sports reporter, and I, this has been a, the point talked about here on social media for the last couple of days because uh, a prominent. Ed, you know, went out there and said that uh, this tournament doesn't have upsets. It's all chalk. It's not the same product. But clearly, extremely good regular season teams can uh, can lose if if they, if they don't play mm-hmm. perfectly. I, I guess you know, on on that note, looking through here, are there anybody under like a six seed or below, or a mid major, or a team that maybe a typical fan might not have heard of that you would look at and think, wow, based on on this bracket that. They could win two games. Like they, they, they have a chance to, to be really successful. Yeah, it's funny. The the mid major that I think everyone's looking at, uh, who was probably underseated coming into this, is Princeton. Um, but then uh, they sort of got screwed by getting to face Kentucky, who basically underachieved throughout the entirety of the regular season, and then yeah. went on this ten game winning streak to close the year out, capped by that dramatic victory over South Carolina in the SEC tournament championship. So that's got to suck for Kentucky and Princeton just overall for both of them to be placed in that situation. Um, 
You know, I I don't love a lot of the double digit seeds. I mean, Villanova is an interesting one. They were the last team to beat Connecticut. Uh, they're in not not a hugely difficult part of their bracket, so it wouldn't be that surprising to see Villanova maybe get to the second weekend. Yeah. Um, just a lot, a couple of the other double digit teams like Stephen F. Austin was a good one, but North Carolina is a really good five seed, so I don't see that happening as a five twelve upset there. Um, I'm I'm more focused on like the the eight nine line to see if any of them could really put a put some fear into the number one seeds in that second game. But as far as like double digit seeds making a run beyond like the Sweet Sixteen, I'm not I'm not here to suggest that that's going to happen. But I also think it's more fun when the really good teams get to play at the end. So sure, yeah. that, and and that and that's true for the men too. Is, yeah. is there anybody in that eight nine group mm-hmm. that that you you think could could maybe knock off an NC State or a Louisville? Is that like a, is that a Nebraska? Uh, Kansas State is a team that I'm looking at because they have yeah, okay. uh, Aoka Lee who put up the Division One scoring record, 61 points in a game earlier this season. Uh, it's interesting because NC State has one of the best centers in the country too, and Elisa Konein, and that matchup with her and Aoka would be just delightful if it came to be. But who oh, knows yeah. if Kansas State even gets out of the first round, you know, against Washington State, who is surprisingly good in the Pac-10 this year. Sorry, Pac-12 this year. Um, uh, Louisville, probably the the weakest number one seed. Um Kind of surprising that they got it over Baylor, but uh, you know that that last number one was just sort of there for the taking on the final day of conference tournament play, and nobody won their conference tournament who could have got there, you know, namely Baylor. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Louisville was the first to go out, but Louisville's region is also like not the like the the group of death that you would expect like for the last number one seed. So uh, I kind of think they got a, a decent draw based on the fact that. I'm not sure they should have even been a one seed, but here they are with, I don't know, kind of a nice path heading to Minneapolis. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if Michigan is necessarily going to be a, a trendy Final Four pick or anything, and and Tennessee and Oregon and BYU are all good, but not immortal. So, right, right. I mean, yeah, yeah, I could, I could, I could see that. Speaking of um, those double digit seeds, yeah. actually, Tennessee and Buffalo yeah. is a game that I'd keep an eye on because uh, Buffalo's got uh, D'Asha Fair, who's just one of the very best mid-major players in the country. Um, again, just another sucky draw to be up against Tennessee, who has some injury issues. So if they came out like not great early, would not be altogether surprising as they work back, you know, some of their front court players. Sure. Well, how, how did she end up at Buffalo? Was 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 this just a uh, uh, a, a, a recruiting miss for some power programs that she just blossom later in her college career. You know, I don't know if you see that as often. Buffalo has one of the, the best coaches in the country, Felicia Legit Jack, who just, I imagine is just a really good recruiter, you know, and sometimes those are just people you want to play for, right? If you're from sure. the area and that's somebody who you believe in, like I can see that happening. It's interesting. You mentioned Baylor earlier. I think you, you go back to coaches. I mean, maybe the biggest storyline in, in women's basketball is Kim Mulkey going from Baylor to LSU at the beginning of the season. I think she's kind of surprised folks at how quickly she's gotten LSU up to speed. Are you surprised that she's been able to do that uh, there with the Tigers? And then I think consequently Baylor has not really dropped off all that much uh, from where she left it. Are you surprised at how the bears have kind of kept things rolling? Yeah, I guess the, that LSU is this good is a little bit more surprising to me just because they had a bit of a drop off, you know, like, beyond the Simone Augustus, Sylvia Fowles years. Like it hasn't exactly been a great time to be LSU women's basketball. And Kim Mulkey's pretty much just gotten them back to where like they're three seed this year, which is far more than I think most people would have expected. But I mean, she's a really good coach. Like uh, for all anyone has to say about Kim Mulkey and there, there are lots of things to say about There's Kim Mulkey. Uh, she, she knows how to coach a basketball team. And with the resources that she has in the SEC, like uh, I wouldn't bet against her to get LSU back to a national title game. Like, soon not this year but like 
relatively soon. Uh, it's been fun to watch Baylor without Kim Mulkey because they kind of play like an actual modern offense now. Um, <laughs> in the past couple years with Mulkey, like they're just so focused on their bigs and they've had great bigs like Kalani Brown and Lauren Cox and just great players to run your offense through. They actually take threes now, which is just wild to think about a Baylor team that actually takes threes. Like they won a national title game three years ago with like less than 10% of their offense coming from the three-point line, which is insane to think about in the year 2019 that a team could actually win that way. And so the fact that they actually have like a a diverse way of scoring and Alyssa Smith, who is potentially going to be the number one pick in this year's WNBA draft, number one or two, depending on how you feel about Ryan Howard from Kentucky. uh, She's, she's a big who was like basically functioning just as a post hub under Kim Mulkey and now gets to step out and like actually take jumpers and function out of the high post. And it's pretty cool to see that, all of this talent that was functioning one way under Kim Mulkey is equally good, if not like potentially more scary under Nikki Collin. You know, I, I, on that note, are, are there any really, maybe this is a dumb question, but are, are there any really high level teams in this tournament that are still playing that way? I mean, if, if you look at the evolution of the NBA and the WNBA, where it seems like everyone's shooting threes and you, everyone's running motion and everyone, and it, you see, more, more positionless play across the board. Is there anybody that's trying to you know roll out a 1980s Georgetown kind of lineup and 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 slow things down and play more Paleolithic basketball? I think Baylor was something of an anachronism uh, over the last few years, and the fact that they got a coach from the WNBA to come in and lead them this year sort of helped them move into the 21st century, so to speak. Uh, I don't think you're going to see a lot of. I guess I should say like the rate of three point shooting is still not the same in the women's game as it is in the men's game. Like uh, you're still going to see mid range jump shots and things like that in a way that just doesn't exist. uh, Like, especially in the NBA, but I don't think we're getting a lot of two big lineups and just completely issuing jumpers. Um, There's a lot of really great centers on the women's side. Like, you know, NC state has a great center. We mentioned her earlier, uh, Kunane, but they use her to like create open jumpers for their, perimeter players and that's not an accident they're like the best three-point shooting team in the country too so both of those sure, things can all yeah. work together <laughs> <laughs> you, you you have a great big you can do more than just rebound you can set screens you can play away from the basket there's, there's all kinds of fun things you can do um i i, I want to talk very very quickly about lsu and the s and the sec because in, in our world stepping away from women's basketball there is a uh you know it's commonly thought of that hey this league now suddenly has a good you know not suddenly but even more so now has like a jillion dollars from football that they can use to potentially invest and do lots of other things. We've seen the depth in SEC swimming uh, explode over the past couple of seasons. We've seen the depth in, in softball, which is already very strong, I, I think get much stronger in, in, in recent years. Is, is, is there truth? I mean, was the SEC always in any a, you know top one or two conference beforehand? Or because now teams like LSU are empowered to make such big hires, has the depth improved recently? You know, that's a good question. Um, I hadn't really considered it from that way that the football money is pouring in, but like SEC gymnastics, if I think about it, is also pretty damn good this year too. Uh, oh, yeah. So that might be and, like and an NIL situation can, too. Can, yeah, and they can fill an arena. They'll bring six, yeah. 7,000 people in to go watch mm-hmm. Auburn, Alabama, LSU gymnastics. Yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of starts with Dawn, right? Like Dawn making South Carolina a powerhouse sort of just lifts like all boats in the SEC because once you have – a coach of her caliber who's creating a program almost out of nothing, like uh, that just makes everyone want to compete in that arms race. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd love to say it that way. I, I still don't think the SEC is like the best conference in the country, but uh, 
there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot to like there. <laughs> you've got LSU, you've got South Carolina, who I think is a prohibitive favorite. You've got Kentucky, who can be as good as anyone on any given day. Uh, that's a really interesting question to think about the football money coming in. Uh, I would hope that that is is the case because there is so much of it. I can just keep <laughs> lifting up the rest there, there, of the there, women's programs. Yeah, clearly a diminishing returns point. There's only so many you know locker room lasers anybody could hope <laughs> to buy. You could you would think, hey, maybe we could use this to to start kicking everyone's ass in, in, in women's basketball and and soccer and these other places here too. Um, would you say the ACC is the best league this year, or is that the Pac-12, or, or am I forgetting another option? I don't know. The Big Ten is fairly deep, but uh, they don't play defense, so it's, it's tricky. Uh, you know, I don't know how they're going to fare against other teams who can uh, bring it defensively in a way that the Big Ten teams don't. Uh, ACC was good. Yeah, I'd say probably the ACC this year, um, but it's it's really close. Like, uh, the Pac-12, I don't know, was as deep uh, as it was a year ago just because Arizona didn't quite have the season that they had with Aaron McDonald and the national title run they made a year ago. But yeah. there's just, I don't know, there's there's a lot of good teams around the country. Like, I don't know that any one conference really jumps out to me as, like, this is the one that you need to watch on a regular basis. But yeah. I guess just based on the fact that, like, the ACC had the two number one seeds in NC State and Louisville, like, that might be the the winner by default this year. No, that it, it, It's fun to think of the Big Ten as the uh, – the uh, the fun all gas no breaks no defense kind of league which plays against type I think in literally oh every other sport entirely. I listen, I know I watched a lot of I watched some Iowa basketball this season and um, that that they seem to play like I play NBA two K which is to say like no defense at all we're gonna we're gonna pull up from the logo and mm-hmm. I don't know how good it is I don't trust my own judgment there but it's fun and oh it's super fun Iowa yeah a lot <laughs> um. Am I am I correct in in think in in maybe may, may, again maybe I'm an idiot. Caitlin Clark is an amazing basketball player, but she's not entirely the only engine behind what makes Iowa go right. Oh yeah, absolutely. They run just a really good offense, and obviously, like the fact that you have a generational talent like Caitlin Clark who can just bend the defense with her own like shooting gravity is makes it a lot easier on everybody else. But like Monica Zanano is outstanding just like as a pick and roll partner with Caitlin Clark just really really good at finishing inside um I mean she's the reason I think they won the Big Ten tournament because like Indiana which was their main competition throughout most much of the Big Ten season has no answers for Monica just any time they played at all this season uh, just a really really excellent center um not, not defensively so much but like Iowa's offense all the time you know we're going to try to outscore you as much as possible and if it's 104 to 96 like that's perfectly fine with us it's not a model that like Same. South Carolina is going to use obviously right. but no they've got great stuff uh Kate Martin um another starter on Iowa who's pretty decent shooter gets things going uh but I think Zanano is really just the unsung hero of this Iowa offense because uh she just does so much dirty work inside that like allows Caitlin just a modicum of space you know and you've You've seen Caitlin Clark when she gets an inch, like that's all she needs to get her shot off. Uh, yeah. But I, I don't want to undersell Caitlin Clark either because she is tremendous. Like to lead the country in scoring and assists, I don't believe any Division One player has ever done that, at least not on the women's side. Just And obviously they're scoring a lot of points on Iowa, so that makes it a little bit easier. Like pace adjusted, I'm sure those things aren't happening, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just those numbers. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't say enough about it. You don't have to be the most efficient player in the world if you can stretch a defense, you know that that well, and are playing at a pace where you have that many opportunities. Like you, you still have to respect it either way. Mm-hmm. 
Matt and I talk all the time about NIL and, and NIL opportunities. Is this maybe Caitlin's moment kind of where she can get broader than kind of the women's basketball community? Because she's so fun to watch. But, you know, this is more of a national stage, more interest nationally in terms of this tournament, probably more than ever, uh, just kind of the given the increase in branding uh, with March Madness surrounding this tournament. Is this maybe a, even a bigger step stage for her to uh, kind of take their star to a next level? I would hope so, because uh, she's already got a lot of money coming in with the deals that she's done. I know she has one with um, this Midwest uh, grocery chain, which the name escapes me, like something that starts with an H. I'm sorry, I, I'm not from the Midwest. Is it, is, is, is it Hive? There we go. Yeah. Um, and Kevin Durant has been talking about her all year. Like he says she's her favorite player. She's his favorite player in uh, college basketball. Um, the relentless Stephen Curry comparisons, I think, have also done her a lot of favors. But yeah, I mean, playing in Iowa, I'm sure there's there's just a limit on like the type of national attention you're going to get, even if ESPN has been trying to plug her as much as possible in terms of their like big Monday matchups. But I would hope that this is an opportunity for everyone to watch her because like number one, she's just so much fun, right? Like I love watching Aaliyah Boston in South Carolina. I think they're a great team, but it's different watching like a back to the basket center who excels defensively versus someone who's going to pull up from the logo. There's just something that animates fans a little bit more. And again, no disrespect to Boston and South Carolina. It's just, there's, there's a way people like to watch basketball now. And I think Iowa captures that modern sensibility a little bit more. So there's a real opportunity here for Caitlin Clark to do something special. And the way the bracket shakes out, like we could get an elite eight matchup between Iowa and South Carolina, just like the most dichotomous matchup possible of two different styles and the two leading candidates for player of the year. Uh, and if she has a good showing in that game, even if Iowa doesn't necessarily win, like that's just an incredible opportunity for her to elevate her profile even more. And I, I'm so excited to just look into the NIL numbers after this tournament is over and see how like her and Haley Van Lith from Louisville and just like Paige Beckers from Connecticut, like what they can do to market off of this particular opportunity. Cause it's, it's the first time, right? I, I can't wait to see and, what and it And it's the like. first time, right, that uh, we're, we're kind of getting this additional exposure. First, you know, going back to prime time for the title game on ESPN. And, uh, you know, ESPN's even been airing a lot of these these games on, on ABC. How, how much has the profile mm -hmm. of this tournament kind of been elevated uh, in the last, really, the last two years? You know, I, I like to think about the women's tournament, like, in a, its current phase dating from, like, 2017 onwards, because that's when uh, Brianna Stewart left college, who I probably just the greatest college player of all time and probably the reason why so many of those parody conversations stuck in women's basketball because when yeah. you win four titles in a row and win four most outstanding players in a row like I can understand why people get a little bored watching that but since then I mean of the last 12 final four games that have been contested in the women's tournament seven of them have been within one possession or have gone to overtime like that's just you don't get that kind of drama on the men's side I, it just doesn't happen uh for whatever reason and uh, like the games have just all been really really good the fact that ESPN is promoting them. It's just a response to the fact that like, oh, hey, if Enrique Agunbawale is going to hit game winners twice in the same Final Four, maybe these are the kinds of games we should be marketing. Uh, and then like the very next year after they do that, uh, you know, Enrique has a chance to hit two game-tying free throws against Baylor in the national title game ends up missing the second one. But like that drama is the kind of thing that really elevates the profile of this tournament. So... I, sorry, Brian, I, I totally lost track of your question in the midst of my spiel about why the women's tournament is so wonderful. But uh, I'm very <laughs> glad that... Uh, there are more opportunities to watch them on, you know, actual like network channels like ABC because the Final Four really like, always delivers for the women, especially in this modern era. No, yeah, I can't think of I can't think of a dud. We've had a couple of dud Final Fours on the men's side. Yeah, um, I, I Brian touched on something that I've been thinking about a lot, 
and I, I'm not sure maybe the, the best way to ask it, but when I think about women's basketball from an NIL lens, we look at like who are the most famous women's basketball players right now. Um, regardless of who's the best women's basketball player, you know, Caitlin Clark is definitely up there. Paige Buckets is up there. The, 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 the twins at Fresno State are up there. And while those are all elite, excellent basketball players, and you're right, Caitlin Clark's game translates into, in a way that's very accessible, they're also all white. And if we look at, I, I, I've done this, I've gone into Open Doors' database here and I've looked at who has the most Instagram followers and everything. It's not a, a, it's not a linear, only white people are, are, are marketable, but it definitely would appear that there is a look that uh, more easily translates to Madison Avenue that's maybe different from how good you are on the court. And one, Am I reading into something that isn't there? And two, if I'm not, do you think that there's anything that this tournament that could happen in this tournament that might change that or help make very good college basketball players who do not look like Caitlin Clark reach other financial goals? I think you're absolutely right about uh, where the NIL money has gone. I mean, even another name on your list, like Sedona Prince, another white player for Oregon who has profited very well off of NIL. Yeah. And like you think about South Carolina and none of their athletes show up on these lists, even though, again, wire to wire, number one team in the country, best player in the country. Uh, why isn't Aaliyah Boston the most marketable player in the world? Like there's very clear reason for that. And uh, I do think that, you know, the WNBA had a survey um, a couple of years back about how uh, white players only make up about 20 percent of the league, but like 80 percent of the coverage in terms of how ESPN chooses to spotlight them and that's definitely something that ESPN needs to take account for. Like, are are we spending all of our energy on like Caitlin versus Paige, which admittedly was a tournament matchup last year, but uh, yeah, you know, there there's a duty that they have in terms of like where their marketing efforts go to, and I I think seeing like the tangible results of like, oh hey it wasn't just that we're giving more media attention to the white players. Like they're actually making more money off of the opportunities that they have now. Uh, I, I do think that there is like an actual responsibility to say, Oh, we, we need to spend more time talking about like the excellent, excellent black basketball players that are in this tournament too. And there's so many like Haley Jones for Stanford was the most outstanding player last year. And we've got Boston, we've got, um, you know, Baylor and Alyssa Smith and Ryan Howard and just a tremendous selection of players that you can talk about. But, for a variety of reasons, like the, the two names that I think people know most heading into this tournament, if you're not like an avid women's college fan, are Paige Beckers, who like hasn't started a game since December, and Caitlin Clark. Yeah. You know, sp- speaking of, of Beckers having not started, right? I think if you're, if I was to just grab a random person on the street and and ask them about women's basketball season or show them the bracket, uh, I think a lot of them are going to say like, "Well, where's UConn? Mm-hmm. Or how good is UConn?" And as I understand it, this is a team that. You know, it's full of McDonald's All-American type talent, has had a lot of injuries, um, hasn't had their, you know, been, been fully weaponized and has looked more mortal than you a casual basketball fan might expect from UConn. Mm-hmm. Are they healthy and playing their best basketball now? Or should America prepare themselves for maybe an Elite Eight that doesn't involve Connecticut? So Connecticut looks really good right now. Um, all of the, the you know, December, no, like January, February injury, COVID issues that were affecting the program basically seem to be, you know, behind them. Paige is returned. She's not playing her full minutes load yet, but she's back on the team. And the fact that they just obliterated the Big East tournament, even without a fully healthy Paige is uh, 
pretty devastating if you're a UConn hater, which is a lot of people who watch college basketball. <laughs> um, and then they also got this gift in terms of the scheduling from the committee because one of the regionals is in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and they are the two seed in Bridgeport, Connecticut. So they will be playing essentially four home games to get to the final four, um, even as the two seed, because um, uh, for those who are unaware, like the first two rounds of the women's tournament are all hosted by the top seed in the pod. Uh, so they get to play their first two games in stores. And then potentially the next two games in Bridgeport, even as like the lower seed to an NC state, should that game come to materialize. So the fact that they got this location benefit, which again is like not the committee's fault. It's just that Bridgeport happens to be where the games are scheduled. And like they haven't lost uh, since early February. Um, Everybody's back. Uh, Paige was the national player of the year last year. Like whether you agreed with that decision or not, (laughs) she's really damn good at basketball. And yeah. The fact that everybody else got to figure out what they need to do without her, and then you get to add her into this situation. Uh, this this UConn team is is damn good. Like I I don't know that they're South Carolina good, but they did lose to South Carolina earlier in the season, and it's it's tough to beat the same team twice in one year. So I I would be worried about Connecticut if you were like interested in the, the downfall of Genorama. Like I'm not. Book, I'm not like marking any games like without Connecticut happening for the foreseeable future. They haven't missed the final four since 2007. Like the final four, we're talking about 15 straight years of just being in the final weekend. Everybody's talking about Connecticut. This is what they do. And I think it would be unwise to expect them to miss out this year. That's, that's fair enough. I, I feel like for most other sports, my casual rooting interest would always go towards the underdog and immediately against whoever is perceived to be the New York Yankees of that particular sport. I like watching Alabama lose, not because I have anything like you know, personal against the Crimson Tide, but they win all the time. And yeah. it's fun. It's fun to see things changing up. But I have to admit, I kind of like watching UConn beat the snot out of everybody. And I, I don't know if that's just like when you're conditioned, when you first begin to follow a sport and you, you develop some kind of attachment to whoever is amazing then. Maybe I'm a class trader when it comes to women's basketball. I don't know. But I, I enjoy it. Um, you know, I, my, my apologies to Mercer. I'm, I'm sure you're a wonderful program. But um, I, I, I think I would enjoy watching UConn win by a gajillion. Yeah, I, I like watching the good teams get to play against one another. Like I've the the older I get, I've sort of gotten to the point where like beyond day one of the tournament, I don't want any upsets. I want to see all of the ones and twos plays against each other and see like who yeah. actually is the best in the country. And I do think Connecticut is in that class. Like uh, I have them in my final four right now. I'm not sure if I'm going to keep them there uh, by the time I like submit my bracket on Friday. But uh, yeah, they're they're good. They're really good. And Paige is awesome and just has been waiting for months to get to play again. We've made it. We've made it nearly 25 minutes now, and we have not brought up the reigning national champions and, and discussed Stanford, which I, kind of speaks to, I guess, maybe the state of, of affairs out in the Pac-12 and, and just how uh, you know off the radar the Pac-12 can be at times, just given their, their media deals. But uh, how good a shot does does the Cardinal have to at repeating? Oh yes, the Pac-12 network media deals. That's that's a thing. <laughs> um, yeah, Stanford is. I would say better than they were last year. Uh, they lost their point guard to graduation, um, Keanu Williams. And so they had a, a bit of a turnover issue earlier in the season. They just like throwing the ball all over the place, especially in that loss to South Carolina earlier in the year. Uh, they haven't lost since then. They just blitzed through the Pac-12 regular season conference tournament. Uh, they have Haley Jones, who was the best player on their team last year. And she's arguably not the best player this year because Cameron Brink has taken a step forward. Just a tremendous defensive presence. Like the reason why... Uh, opponents shoot, what is it, um, 
36% on twos against Stanford because she is terrifying to come into the lane against. Uh, They're so deep. Like you've got Lexi and Lacey Hall, Anna Wilson, who's just this ridiculous defensive presence at the point of attack. Um, I mean, Fran Bellaby's coming off the bench, like who can just casually like unleash dunks and layup lines. I mean, uh, there's everything you could possibly want on a team exists in Stanford. And they've got like coach Dara Vandiver, the winningest coach in women's college history. And like, uh, if they hadn't lost to South Carolina earlier this season, like I think we'd be talking about them more as like the prohibitive favorite. But the fact that the only time we got to see one and two go against each other and like South Carolina came out on top probably is the reason why we're not talking about them as like co-favorites. Uh, but I mean, again, this is like a very West Coast bias thing. I have Stanford winning it all right now. And that's because I just like picking the more Western team most of the time. But like they were really good last year. I mean, Obviously, they were one possession away from losing to Arizona, one possession away from losing to South Carolina, but that's just how the Final Four tends to go in women's college basketball. And they've played a lot of close games recently. Like they had uh, just a barn burner in Oregon earlier this uh, last month where Haley Jones had to just get in her bag and like do what most outstanding players do. And it was like leading this double-digit comeback in the fourth quarter. Um, I, I just haven't seen a situation where I look at a team and think that Stanford doesn't have a way to counter them because they have such good perimeter defense. They have such good interior defense. Their three-point shooting is really good. And then they run this Princeton motion offense where like it's just hard for teams to contain them because if you go zone, then they just freaking bully the crap out of you on the offensive glass. So they have everything you could possibly want. It's just they don't have the very best player in the country, which is I think where the advantage comes for like a South Carolina but I, I don't think it should be surprising at all if Stanford repeats. It's just nobody has repeated since Connecticut in 2016. Shoot, has Stanford lost this year? Yeah, haven't they won like 15 games in a row or something? In the year? in the calendar year, I don't believe they've lost. Yeah, that's it, it's pretty wild that we can talk for 25 minutes about a team that literally has not lost a game in this calendar year. And there you they're go. pretty good. So all right, so yeah, so you mentioned, hey, you think Connecticut's going to be in that conversation? You've got Stanford winning it all. Listen, we're not your boss. We're not here to go. You don't have to. You could. Put whatever you want on Vox Media. That's fine. Who do you have in your final four? Uh, who, who are the other two? Currently, um, I have not made a decision about the other non-South Carolina region. <laughs> um, I just... Okay. I, I like to fill like the, the top of the bracket and then work my way out, you know, um, which is, I understand, not the way most people fill out these things. But uh, I have South Carolina, Stanford, and Connecticut in the final four. I just have not decided um, who's going to join them in Minneapolis. Um, okay, you heard it here first. Old Miss, I guess, uh, <laughs> going to come in there. Wasn't expecting that, but um, just, all right. Um, let me ask you one other question, if I may. And this is this is this is more of a kind of broader women's basketball question. I remember um, from talking to folks that covered the WNBA and covered women's basketball in this country a couple of years ago. One of the challenges that I would hear was that for many women's basketball players, they would never become more famous than they would when they were in college, particularly if you were at a major program. And then it was hard to translate a um, UConn fan's diehard support of their player to the pros. Um, and and, uh, and it, w- it, was, it was harder to get people to kind of follow them through and stay invested for the next several years. Do you think that that is changing as b- both, I guess, women's college basketball becomes bigger and the WNBA in general becomes bigger? Or is that still a marketing challenge that everyone is trying to tackle here. I still think that the popularity of college basketball like far eclipses anything we get from the WNBA. And part of that is just the time of year that they play. Um, I don't think summer leagues are ever as popular in the U S just 
because of the way like our, our culture works, like with schooling and stuff. I just, I just don't think yeah. it works that way. Um, and the thing is like, even as the WNBA becomes more popular, I think women's college is also getting more popular. So the, the gap just hasn't uh, shrunk at all. Uh, and then with NIL, like college players have even more opportunities to market themselves now, uh, which just like is great. I'm, I'm really glad about that. But uh, I, I don't think that the WNBA has done enough to, to close that gap at all. Like, I mean, they, they try to like put the draft right after the tournament and like capitalize on all of the momentum from college, but uh, just, yeah, I mean, but then you're also in a situation where like you can never have a combine and like drafting decisions are just nuts because like there's a week separating the draft and the end of the tournament and a player who's in the national title game has 48 hours to decide whether they want to be in the draft or not. And it's, it's disastrous, but yeah. <laughs> okay, that seems less there's, smart. There's good <laughs> okay, reasons nope. for it. I'll give you that. <laughs> no, yeah, I was thinking of just the marketing angle there for a second. Like, oh, wait, yeah, yeah. combines are a thing. People do like to do scouting. <laughs> Great point, Sabrina. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I'm curious, too. I mean, this is obviously the first tournament we've had since the gender equity report that the NCAA has gone through. We're going to get the first four for the first time on the women's side with 68 teams. Uh, we've seen the March Madness branding all over now, especially with Minneapolis uh, hosting the Final Four. Uh, has there been, you know, some of the, the corrections that, uh, that were discussed last year for coming out of that tournament? Were, were they implemented? Do you, do you feel like there's progress being made uh, on account of the NCAA and, and kind of closing that gap between the men and, men yeah, and women's Yeah, that gender tournaments? equity report that they released this year was just so interesting in terms of just the innumerable number of ways that uh, the NCAA invests more in men's basketball than women's basketball. Just like the fact that uh, all of the sponsorship deals for like every single tournament other than men's basketball are sold together. So you can't sponsor the women's basketball tournament unless you choose to sponsor like 60 other NCAA tournaments is nuts to me. And the fact that like CBS controls sponsorship of the women's tournament when they don't even broadcast the women's tournament, there's just zero like effort put into actually supporting the women's tournament and making it as profitable as it could be. Um, so those things can't change obviously until the media rights deal like comes up. But uh, the fact that there is a first four is, is a nice step. Uh, I've you know been told that like the, the swag bags are the same for both tournaments this year, which was obviously not the case last year. Um, more signage being put into place at the women's tournament. So like you actually feel that, Oh, Hey, there's a final four happening in Minneapolis when I'm here this weekend. Um, these, I guess, like cosmetic things, you know, like calling it March Madness is happening this year, which wasn't the case for the previous however many iterations of the tournament. But I think so long as those like fundamental systemic issues exist of like, oh, all of like our media rights deal is being controlled by an entity that has zero interest in broadcasting the tournament, therefore zero interest in selling the sponsorship rights for this tournament. Like as long as that still exists, there's just like so many more hurdles to have to overcome on the women's side. But it's definitely top of mind, right? Like because of that report, because of the TikTok from last year, because of, you know, the conversation that I feel like every single female NIL athlete in college basketball just has been talking about the gender gap all the time this year. Uh, the fact that it's top of mind, I think is really important. And it's something that is not going to be ignored this year in the tournament. It has driven me nuts over the last year to, to see so many people, you know, go like, well, you know, women's basketball players in the tournament don't have these other financial opportunities because the interest just isn't there. It's so far outstripped by the men's tournament without realizing that it's not even close to an apples to apples comparison. One was like literally had their arms tied behind their back. I've talked to other conference commissioners who are like, yeah, I'm, I'm hosting the women's soccer tournament and we literally can't get a single sponsor because uh, nobody wants to spend $400,000 on a, a soccer tournament and carry for, because they have to do something for another event they don't care about. Like, 
And the ACC minds. tournament carry is awesome. It's awesome. It's so good. Well, they, <laughs> All have, of the best teams yeah, in soccer in the they ACC. They have such great, such great soccer, such great, like, interesting yeah. people. And and then people mm-hmm. in carry want to be involved. They're like, why would I spend all my annual marketing budget to do stuff in New Orleans or San Antonio when I am the cookout here? Like, that's it's 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 uh, it's it, oh man, now I really want cookout, I know, Matt. I, I really I really want cookout too. We know maybe, maybe <laughs> well we we can we can get out of here on this. We can all find ways to to get a tray, even though cookout doesn't uh, deliver to the state where we actually are. Uh, Sabrina, how can folks find you and your work? Because I know you're you're on a couple of different places in the SB Nation uh, extended universe right now, right? Yeah, so for now, most of my work at SB Nation is concentrated to Swish Appeal, which is our women's basketball site. And uh, you can find me on social at Sabrina JM. That sounds great. Sabrina, thanks so much for taking some time with us and uh, enjoy the tournament. Should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I want to talk a little bit more about that conversation, but before we do, I want to briefly talk about somebody who also uh, does a great job supporting collegiate women's basketball. That is, of course, our friends at Home Field Apparel. Home Field Apparel uh, just wrapped up this season of Big New Saturday, where they create uh, t-shirts and hoodies and crewnecks and stickers and pants that are officially licensed with vintage, cool, uh, unique uh, athletic apparel. The last week was UCLA. Brian, I, I don't, I'm not afraid to admit this here. I spent over a hundred dollars last week, uh, on home field stuff. There was not a bad item in that collection for you. So usually there, there, there might be a shirt or two that you're like, well, you know what? That actually will not look, I, I don't wear the color yellow very well. Or you're like, I, the orange is just not, not suiting me. But the, the every every single thing on on, on that collection yeah. was, was fantastic. No no surprise. I typically avoid yellow for that reason because I, I got. I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm a mostly white guy, but my skin is just a little bit dark enough where yellow might be a little. It doesn't look as good. I don't think. And, and by that, like, that's what my wife tells me. I, I don't know. Um, I still got the <laughs> the like the '80s UCLA Tron shirt. Uh, maybe we'll give it to somebody else. My, my father-in-law went there. So I, I got him and uh, my mother-in-law UCLA shirts. We, 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 I bought a couple of other things because um, the shirts are great. The, the, it's, got, it's got the adorable vintage bear. You got, the, you got the rose. You got a color scheme. Even if you don't look great in yellow, uh, I bet you look great in baby blue. Uh, and that's, there's, there's, there's a bunch of that there. But they also had great connections, uh, collections for NC State, for Gonzaga, for Cincinnati, for Illinois, uh, you know, my, my, my new uh, adopted home state, and then a gajillion other schools, most of whom are participating in the uh, either the men's or the women's tournament. So if you want to um, steal valor and pretend you attended a school that's participating in the tournament, if uh, you want to buy some stuff for the mid-major that beats your rival and now you want to adopt them in your, into your home, like many other sons of Columbus have done for Appalachian State, even though that was, I mean, shoot, 15 years ago, like that, you, you, you still see those things in the 614. You can do that at Home Field Apparel. And when you do do that at Home Field Apparel, use promo code extra points and save 15% off of your first order. So you don't have to pay full price. So if you end up spending 100 bucks on UCLA stuff, like I just did, well, you only spend 90 bucks on UCLA. No, you'll spend less than 90 bucks. You'll spend 85 bucks. That's how math works. I uh, am a liberal arts major and didn't do very well in school, which is why uh, I now write for a living. Um, get all that at homefieldapparel.com uh, and get the, the 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 fun, unique, eclectic collegiate apparel in your life to celebrate the team that beats Duke, uh, which, which is what we all want to celebrate here, right? 
Um, most, 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 most people, depending on how our brackets are. Uh, yeah, are, are, okay. If you want to be a cop and you want to just root for root for Duke to begin with, then that's fine. I'm I'm really appreciative of Sabrina taking some time to chat with us and and breaking down uh, what this looks like from a business perspective, from an encore perspective. I I I think I. Uh, there really is something to the idea of in the early rounds. It is fun to see some Southland school win a game or two. Uh, but when you get to the Elite Eight, you, you typically do want to see the best teams actually play against each other. And, and that's likely what we're going to see here. Should be fun. You got some, you got some contrasting styles. Uh, you have some really talented uh, front court players. You have some big brand names. You have some names maybe we haven't seen at this stage here in a minute. But I think it should be pretty compelling television. I, I think so. And, and the good news is like it, it's so much more accessible than, than it used to be. You used to have to kind of go hunting around, you know, for, to find women's yeah. games, which, you know, I mean, if you t ask a true basketball purist, they probably like the game more just from the spacing's perspective. You're starting to see different styles of offense like it, it is a much more uh, different game compared to the kind of prodding college basketball side on, on, on the men's side. And, uh, you know, to me, I think it, it's going to make for an intriguing year because you do have so many interesting storylines. I mean, you look, you know, we, we talked about Baylor there, but, you know, Texas, you know, made made that run in the big 12 you got uh, teams like stanford uh, obviously arizona uh not not living up to what they were doing last year but uh, you got some strong west coast presence um with them and oregon and, and all, all that so it, it just is a unique tournament and i think this year the spotlight more than ever is going to be on the women's side and uh, I, I can't wait because there, there are some pretty compelling matchups especially once you get out of the, the kind of the first weekend um this isn't to say that you shouldn't engage with the men's basketball tournament. My humble opinion is you are probably, you're, you're, listen, you're not going to do any real work this week anyway, unless you're one of our listeners that works in college sports, in which case you're not going to do the kind of work that you were going to do this, this week anyway that isn't related to men's or women's basketball. Just lean into it. Um, if you're an SID, you know, maybe wait a couple of days to get back to somebody. Unless, unless, of course, that somebody's us, and then in which case, please respond to us immediately. Um, but... Everyone else, just just rather than picking one or the other, just say yes to basketball these next couple of days. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have a better better experience for it. Um, thanks for thanks for sticking around here with us. We had a um, I think another really good last couple of days across the uh, the D1 ticker extended universe on extra points earlier this week. We wrote about um, kind of talked about this for a second ago with with, uh, with Sabrina about what the first men's basketball tournament was like. Um, Andy Wittry is going to be writing for us later uh, this week about what media coverage looked like for some of those early tournaments, including the first NAIA, not the first, the NAIA, NAIA tournament that was happening at the same time as the first NCAA tournament, which includes a lot of teams that are now in Division One, like Western Kentucky was in that first tournament. Um, you could make a reasonable argument that the team that won the NAIA tournament would have beaten Oregon. Or like should have been in the conversation for the best basketball team in the country. Something that does not happen now. Um, we had a, a big story about name, image, likeness collectives. And the gigantic differences between those collectives. And what makes one legitimate? What makes one a scam? Uh, what questions should we have? Why do they exist in the first place? All that stuff can be answered at Extra Points. Which is a pretty good newsletter in my opinion. Which you can find at ExtraPointsMB.com. Uh, Fisher, you've done... I. Some pretty interesting videos this week. I saw you talked to Stu Mandel about collectives earlier uh, today. You've done a couple other ones too, right? 
Yeah, we t- we did talk with uh, Stu Mandel, the athletic, about his story surrounding the the eight million dollar uh, player, I guess, uh, from the class of twenty twenty three, who's uh, being paid by one of these NIL collectives. So uh, you can find that on Collegiate Sports Connect. Actually, talking to somebody from Virginia's collective uh, later in the week, so you can watch for that video as well. But yeah, it's uh, jam packed with with a lot of information. You know, you would think things slow down just a little bit uh, this time of year, and and yeah, that that's true to a certain extent. But there's so much news going on around NIL, around uh, just college athletics in general the, the, the new cycle never stops and you can always find all that information uh, not only on collegiate sports connect but uh, on d1 ticker so my advice to you make sure you're subscribed to d1 ticker because that's free it, it this isn't just me being a company man matt roberts isn't listening this late in the podcast it's okay it really is an invaluable tool i use it every single day to help write extra points you should be subscribed to extra points um you, you could do that for free. Uh, it would be even better if you did the paid version so you got all of the newsletters and got all of the information. Of course, you're listening to this. You should check out Collegiate Sports Connect. And then you should completely ignore the rest of your professional, ecclesiastical, civic duties the next couple of days to watch basketball. Uh, only pausing to read our stuff or listen to our stuff, engage with our stuff. If that sounds great. Do all those things. You will be happy, uh, fulfilled over the next couple of days. We'll be here. We'll, uh, we'll be watching all the basketball here with you, and we'll see you on the internet in a couple of days. <laughs>